Today we conclude our series in Acts, which we started on April 25th, 2021. So a year and a half later, 56 sermons later, we are coming to the end. And we're going to actually finish in the same way, similarly, how we began. Who can tell me what the theme of Acts has been? Anybody? To the end of the earth, right? Out of Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what have we seen happen in this book? We have seen the gospel advance beyond Jerusalem. And here we stand this morning where the gospel has made its way around the globe. Anybody know how far we are away from Jerusalem? 6,200 miles. So the, the main mode of transportation back then would have been horse. That would have been the, the greatest. If it was a flat land all the way from Jerusalem to here, it would take 248 days to get here. But we got this thing called an ocean that separates us. And just imagine, like they didn't have the capacity, their boats were not made to sail across the world, but here this morning, we are hearing the gospel of what Paul shared 2,000 years ago. Is that not amazing to you? By God's grace, we have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And here's the cool thing. We get to participate in the same calling that Paul had. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has given us the same calling as the apostles? We're going to talk about that this week. And so here's the, the calling that we all have. It's this. We are called to spread the gospel to the end of the earth. So let's jump into the text this morning. Acts 28, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Rigium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petulia, Tioli. That's a hard word to say. Uh, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius, and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. 
When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. And they should see with their eyes and hear, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning that you have given us You have not left us on our own. What an amazing thing, Lord, to stand here holding the testimony of the apostles that shows that the promise in Acts 1-8 has been being fulfilled. The gospel has reached nearly to the end of the age, and yet, Lord, there are still people who have not called upon your name, whom you have called us to deliver the good news to. So God, I pray that you would bring conviction where it's needed this morning. I pray that you would bring courage. I pray that you would spur in us a fire to take the gospel in our spheres of influence. Lord, that we might hear stories this week of people who proclaim the goodness of God and hear of salvations throughout our community. God, help us to be faithful. And so Lord, challenge us this morning. We need you, and we thank you that we're two or more gathered in your name. You are surely with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see here that uh, God's promise to Paul has been fulfilled, and Paul has made his way to Rome. I mean, just consider, though, his journey and how he ended up here. I mean, can you imagine, like, how hard it must have been? to be trapped, they were trapped on this island, and last week we saw them trash into Malta, I believe was the island, and they were stuck there for three months, because during the months of November to basically early February, there was just no sailing that was taking place. It was, it was far too dangerous. The weather would not allow it, and so he's stuck here, uh, again, reminding you that he was innocent, and yet they were treating him as if he was guilty. He was still chained up. Probably, you have to imagine, he was longing to see his friends, longing for new visitors. And and here's what I found in my Christian life when it comes to spreading the gospel. Spreading the gospel takes a community. Spreading the gospel takes a community. Look again at verse 14. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome and The brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. What we see here is Paul is 
deeply encouraged by these believers, these brothers who came. I mean, he, it gave him courage to keep going. I mean, he's about to do some more hard work in Rome. And he's encouraged because these brothers have come along to be a support for him. We, we were reminded last week, we, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul was not immune to despair, right? He wasn't a super apostle who had no struggles. And he just did his thing without caring at all what was going on around him. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1, we saw that he despaired of life itself. You see, Paul is not immune from the reality that we were made and we need community. There's there's some people in the world who have this idea that, you know what, all I need is Jesus, just me and Jesus. Now, is there a sense where that is true? Like, there's a sense that that's true? Like, I think of somebody who, who gets trapped on an island by himself, and like, is Jesus enough for that man? Sure, yes, absolutely. But God has created us to be part of community. And if we choose not to take part in that, we are choosing to say, God, I got this. I don't really need you and what you have to say. Because all through Scripture, we see this reality that we need people. And Paul understood that for him to carry out the gospel message, he needed community around him. Have you come to that similar understanding in your life to where you realize life is too hard. I am too blind to my own faults. I, I can't possibly do this on my own. I need somebody to come alongside me and encourage me and to help me. You know, there have been times where I've walked into church or small groups, and the last place I wanted to be was there just dealing with circumstances, maybe not wanting to run into somebody that I didn't want to talk to, and just heavy. But you know what? Time after time after time, those have been opportunities for me to be encouraged by my brothers and sisters, and this church is no different. In fact, I'd love to just take the opportunity to thank you for all the appreciation that you guys have shown us through letters, through gifts this month. I don't know if you knew it's Pastor's Appreciation Month. I, I had nothing to do with what was out there. So whoever did that, if you're in the room, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, one of our favorite letters, so some of the kids even wrote letters to us. One of our favorite letters is just one. somebody said, thank you for showing up every week. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you have no idea how true that is some weeks where it's by the grace of God that I stand before you. So thank you. I, I feel the encouragement from you. We need encouragement. The older I get, the more I am deeply convinced that God created us for community. I want you to turn with me here, keep a mark here in Acts chapter 28, but turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 for me, with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, that's towards the end of the Bible for 2 Thessalonians, for 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, just to give you an idea of where to find that. This is, if you are somebody who likes to underline, I don't, I don't really like to underline because have you ever read a book that somebody else has read before you and underlined and highlighted stuff? It tends to take all my attention away. So, uh, but if you like to do that, I encourage you to underline this. I encourage everybody to make some kind of mark and memorize this verse. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. This is one that really speaks of how do we do life together? Why do we need community? This speaks to why we need community. Let me read it for us, and we'll talk it through a little bit. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. So here's, we see three reasons why we need community here. Number one, sometimes we need admonishments. Admonish the idol, like the lazy person, the one who isn't doing what they're supposed to do. How many of you honestly can say, there are times where I need a a kick in the seat, right? (laughs) Like I'm off track I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm being a fool. I'm I'm glad I'm married because I could be a fool a lot. And Nikki often is that kick in the seat that I need. And some of you have been that kick in the seat. There there are just times where we are blinded to our own sin. If you have kids or have been around brothers and sisters where there's more than one, like who does the fault usually land on? Somebody else, right? Right? It's not my fault that, well, if so-and-so wouldn't have done that to me, then I wouldn't have done this in return. Like, like there's all this blame casting, but here's the reality. Even as adults, don't we do the same thing? We, I need somebody who can look on the outside and be able to see things in me that I don't see. Times where I've snapped at Nikki and I don't realize it and come alongside me, encourage me, hey, you can't, you can't respond to your wife that way. We need from time to time to be admonished, admonish the idol. It says encourage the faint-hearted. The second thing, that the reason why we need community is sometimes we need encouragement. There's a, it's a, the word accountability is kind of a buzzword. Like some people hate accountability. Uh, and really what they're saying is they don't like people calling them out. But accountability is not just to admonish. Accountability is also like when we are walking together side by side with somebody and their countenance has changed. There's a heaviness, there's a discouragement, and at those moments, they, that person doesn't need to be admonished, they need encouragement. Like, oh, how Nikki and I in seasons of life have been encouraged by brothers and sisters who come alongside us and, and point us to the hope of God's word. When, when we look and we see this mountain in front of us and we're trying to figure out how we're going to get over it, and somebody brought to us Psalm 121. I lift my eyes into the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The reason I have that memorized is because a brother or sister came alongside and encouraged me with the, with the truth of God's word. We all need encouragement. Paul, if Paul needed encouragement, you need encouragement. And then the last thing we see here, help the weak. And, and I think of the word compliment. Now, now not like, Oh, Nikki, those are pretty shoes, sandals you have there. That's not the compliment I'm talking about. I'm talking about how we can come alongside and compliment another person's gift. If you are married, you felt this. You ever like find that your spouse is like different in the in areas than you are? <laughs> like sometimes night and day, sometimes it drives us crazy, right? But a lot of times it's like a perfect compliment. Like for instance, I am a I am a moody, emotional person. Uh, sometimes I can be Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. That's my kids and my family's nickname for me sometimes. And Nikki, she, I, not that she's not an emotional, but she doesn't allow her emotions to rule her like sometimes I do. I know it's kind of backwards. It's okay. You can look down on me. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but praise God, she's not Eeyore too. <laughs> like two Eeyores married together is a terrible situation, right? Like she compliments where I'm weak, but the same is true for her. Like sometimes I have to help her. Please don't be offended by this sympathize with people. Like, I feel what everybody's feeling. Like, I, I, I can put myself in a situation, and even if somebody's completely wrong, there's a way where I can, I can feel what they're feeling. Like, we compliment each other that way. 
And the same is true not just in marriage, but the same is true in, in doing life together. There are people who are different than us, who are gifted in ways that complement us. Think, take our elders, for instance, Mark, Aaron, and myself. We are three different people. In fact, we often joke that one of us is the gas, one of us is the brake, and the other one's neutral. <laughs> Can you guess which one I am? Uh, I'll let you figure that out. If you want the answer, I'll tell you later. But uh, we complement each other well. One of us is like, let's go. The other ones are like, well, I, I think we need to wait. I think we need to think about this more. And then there's another guy who's like, let's get along, right? Let's, uh, let's love each other here. Let's, and really, it's a great team. It works great because we're different. Why do we need to be doing life together? It's because we're all different. People have strength, and this is why we have to be so careful not to just like point out where somebody's weak and then think we're good because everybody has a weakness. Look to somebody next to you and say, I got a weakness. If you don't know what it is, if you don't know what it is, then maybe you should ask the person sitting next to you. They might know. <laughs> we all have weaknesses, and therefore we need others to come alongside to help us. There, there, are, there are, are ways where I am strong that I can help somebody else out, and, and vice versa. There are areas that I'm weak, that I just need help. How do, I, how do I navigate this? That's the beauty of community. This is why we do small groups. It's not just because it's the fad that other churches are doing. It's because we believe in small groups. In fact, we like to say we're not just a church that offers small groups. We think we're a church of small groups. Like This is where true community happens, where you are known and can be known. Like You are known and you can know other people. You, if, if your only interaction with other believers on a deep level comes on a Sunday morning, you're probably not going very deep. So let me ask you, whether, whether you are in a small group formally with the church or meeting with other believers and encouraging one another, it doesn't matter to me as much as are you in Christian community with other people who can hold you accountable, who can admonish you when you get out of line, who can encourage you when you're faint-hearted, who can help you when you are weak in an area? The truth is, Scripture is very clear on this. Spreading the gospel takes a community. Look at verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people, or the customs of your fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain." And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to the sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Here's another thing about spreading the gospel. It starts with praying for open doors. It starts with praying for open doors. So it was obviously a long journey to get to Rome. 
But as you read through Acts, we see that it was Paul's desire. He wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to speak to them. It was his prayer that he could go speak to the Romans. And God said, you will. I promise. I'm going to carry you to it. And so here we see this being fulfilled. Now, remember, he is not free to roam around. So he's kind of locked up in a house with a guard. And these Jewish leaders are coming to him. And we see here that they don't really know, like, we haven't heard of anything about you. We don't haven't heard of any evil. However, like we know that the, the sect, these, these Christians who are preaching about this guy who was raised from the dead, like they're speaking against him, so we'd love to know what you have to say. Like, Do you see how God has just kind of teed it up for Paul? But Paul didn't stumble into this. This was his desire. This was his, his prayer, and he, he wanted to keep proclaiming the gospel no matter where he went. Prayers were answered, and God flung the doors open for Paul to share the good news. All along the way, Paul had reasons to be discouraged, didn't he? I mean, door after door seemed to be shut in his face, but really they weren't. They were just opportunities for God to be glorified, and Paul looked at them as opportunities to fulfill the calling that he received. So all along the way, what did Paul do? Preach the gospel. You got the guards tied up to him? Guess what? You're going to hear the gospel from me. And God tees it up here again. You know, one reason that we don't share the gospel is because we're afraid. What will people think of me? Will I get fired from my job and my boss finds out I'm a Christian? Will they look down at me in some way? Will people make fun of me for what I believe? Certainly, I have found myself feeling those similar things. But let me ask this. It's not so much the fear that's the problem. It's what do we do with that fear? Do you take the time then to go to the Lord and say, God, give me courage. I'm afraid. Help me to do what I need to do. And here's the truth. If we never did anything that we were afraid of, wouldn't it leave a lot of things unaccomplished? So when's the last time you've prayed when you've been afraid? Or, Or perhaps this. When's the last time you've prayed for the unbelievers in your life? Is that even something on your radar? This past week, did you spend any time praying for your courage, praying for an opportunity to spread the gospel, praying for open hearts of the people by name that you know who don't know Christ? When's the last time that you've really done that? When's the last time you've been truly broken by the unbelievers in your life? When's the last time, like Paul, you're just desiring, I don't care if, All of these obstacles get in the way. I'm still pursuing you, Lord. I'm still going to preach the gospel. You know, if I'm honest, there are are so many times where I let such little things keep me from even praying for open doors. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you a couple minutes to pray for that, but maybe even now, what, what do you need to pray for in light of understanding that we need to pray for open doors? Look at verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. So now there's even more people than there were before. They asked this question, and Paul's like, let's get some more people in here. From morning till evening. You see, you got, when I go over on a sermon, I've never gone from morning to evening, all right? Maybe next week, who knows? 
From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. In order to spread the gospel, we must know the gospel. If we want to spread the good news, we got to know what the good news is. You see here, what was the good news of Paul? Who was the good news? Jesus. It's Jesus he, he proclaimed. It wasn't morality. It wasn't a bunch of rules that you had to follow, which is what the Pharisees were, which is what, who Paul was before God saved him. The message he proclaimed was Christ. Nothing else mattered to him. He wasn't sidetracked by the things that didn't matter. Let me ask you, do you know the gospel? Do you know the good news of Jesus Christ? Do you have the wisdom it takes to be able to share the good news? And and a serious question to ask, if we don't know, could it mean that I'm not saved? Like, I'm not saying that's the case, but could it mean that you are not saved. So let's just take some, some time to define what is the gospel. So there, there are four points that I run to. The first point is this. God is holy. God is holy. That means he's set apart. That means he's perfect. That means he's not like us. That means there's no equal. There's no rival to God. He is creator. He created the whole universe. And therefore, the creator gets to tell the created what they were created for. We don't get to decide that. That's why we have the scriptures. That's why I love the Bible, because it lays out what we are to believe. But that creates a problem for us, because the second part of the gospel is this. Man is sinful. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What were we created for? We were created for the glory of God. We were created to magnify him. We were created to point to him. We were created to give him all the praise. But we can't do that because we were born sinful. And our sin has separated us from God. And sin cannot be in the presence of God. This is where, this is where for some people, like the problem isn't getting people saved. The first problem is getting people lost. What I mean by that is helping people understand that You are born separated from the ultimate thing that we are called to do, glorify God. We have to help people understand, hey, first, you got to understand you're lost. I mean, one only has to look at the world for a little bit to understand, is the world getting better? If you think that, I'm not sure where you live. (laughs) Things are only spiraling out of control. Even this morning, somebody gave me uh, something, a note about, a book that's being given to our children in public school libraries. That I just can't even utter the things that are mentioned in these books. Like the world is chaotic and it's out of control. We need to understand that it's because we're sinful and we are separated from him. Third part of the gospel, though, is this. This is where the good news comes in. Jesus came. Here's what we need to understand about Jesus. Jesus was fully God and fully man. To reject the deity of Christ is to not be saved. There are some people who say, hey, there are many ways to God. You choose Jesus, I choose something else. No. What did Jesus himself say? I am the way, the life, the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I was listening to this interview by Ben Shapiro. Do you know who Ben Shapiro is? He's a Jew. He's a conservative political analyst, or I don't know what you call them. And uh, he was just talking about, like, there was some, uh, some moral things that he believed because of his Jewish upbringing. But one of the things that he, he said is that he rejects Christ. And Jews, like, the Jewish orthodoxy rejects Jesus as Lord. Therefore, that means he is lost. He's not a believer. He's not a believer because he's Jewish. To be a believer means you accept Jesus as Savior, as God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never made one mistake. Does that not, like, blow your mind? He was born as we are. He had siblings that he had to mess with. He had sinful people who were, like, planning stuff behind his back, who were you know, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, like, Peter denied him three times publicly. He had to deal with all these people, and yet not one time in those situations did he sin. And then he died the death that we deserved. It should have been us on the cross, and yet God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross to pay for the sins of every person who would ever believe. And then Jesus proved himself by doing what? Raising from the dead. Rising from the dead. Why do we have Easter? Because Jesus rose. He didn't stay in the grave because he's not just a man. He's also 100% God. That leaves us with the fourth truth of the gospel, and that is our response. Repent and believe. We must understand God is holy and we are not. And therefore, we need to repent of trying to be God, trying to be in control, trying to call the shots and live and walk in a different direction. And if our life doesn't look different today than it did five years ago or ten years ago or whenever we repented, then we should ask ourselves, was there genuine repentance in the first place? Because coming to Christ doesn't mean we just accept him as Savior. Everybody wants a Savior. But we also receive him as Lord, that we choose to surrender our lives to his glory. Let me ask you, do you understand the gospel? Do you understand that it's not by works of righteousness? It's not by doing good things. It's not by being a moral person. If you come and somebody, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? And you were to say, yeah, I think so. I've done pretty good things. Then you would say, I would, I would deeply be concerned for your soul. Because it's not about what we have done, but it's according to his mercy. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross. So in order to spread the gospel, we must understand. We must know the gospel. Look at verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Here's another reality for us to grasp. Spreading the gospel will involve rejection. 
Spreading the gospel will involve rejection. We see here, right in verse 24, that some were convinced, but others disbelieved. And then we see him quoting here a scripture from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Anybody else know who also quoted that same verse? Jesus. In Matthew 13, verses 14 and 15, when the Jews failed to accept him. Now notice the problem is not that they don't hear or see something, but it's a matter of the heart receiving what's been seen and heard. The the, the reality is there are ultimately blinders where they don't fully see. They don't fully understand, and so therefore they don't repent of their sins. That's the problem here. And as we have seen all throughout Acts, so we see again that not everyone who hears the gospel will repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. Paul understood this reality. He understood what his role was and what God's role was. What are we called to do as believers? Plants and water. But who brings the growth? It's God who brings the growth. So therefore, we don't rely on our wisdom. We don't rely on our um, skill with words. Even Paul said, I come to you trembling. I don't, I don't come to you with like beautiful words. I, I just come to you to proclaim the truth. It's not in us and how we deliver it. It's about the Spirit moving through the truth that we share. It is important that we understand. Scripture says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We should do our work and our job to understand the gospel and the Scriptures, but ultimately, we lay it out there. We plant, we water, but only God brings the growth. Paul understood that. He wasn't looking for everybody to be converted. His desire was for that, but he understood his role, and he understood God's role. You know, I've seen that all throughout my life, and sadly, the majority of people I've shared the gospel with reject him. And there have been people that I've shared it with where they seem very intrigued and very interested, but they're just not ready to make that step. But here's the reality. Most of those people I don't even have contact with anymore. And Who knows what God did in their lives after I was out of the picture. I was there to plant at that time. I was there to water the seed and praying that God brings the growth. But we are not called to bring results. We are called to be faithful, right? It's not about bringing people to Christ. It's about pointing people and saying, here's Jesus. This is my hope. This is my only hope. The reality is, is that some will reject Christ and others will come to him. Our responsibility is not results. Our responsibility is faithfulness. And this really leads us to the last point. Look at verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Last thing is this, spreading the gospel is a lifelong calling. Spreading the gospel is a lifelong calling. First of all, I want you to notice between verses 28 and 31, do you see anything that's strange there? There's no verse 29, in the ESV at least. The reason for that is a lot of the earlier manuscripts didn't have that, and so the, the, the writers or the ones who put the ESV together didn't see that as something necessary because 
of the, the proof of the manuscripts that were available. And so basically that verse speaks of that the Jews departed having a great dispute amongst themselves. But what Paul understood is that his lifelong calling was to go and make disciples of all people. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the, what do we call that? Great Commission. That, that, Paul knew what he was called to do. He wasn't called to, okay, I'm going to give the first 65 years to the gospel, and then I get to retire and just do whatever I want to because I've given my service. I, I have seen pastors kind of pack it up, saying I dealt with all that I had to deal with. Here, like, you look at the, the life of Paul and what he endured, and yet he still kept at it all the days of his life. Listen to, listen to what he endured. He was rejected by his own people. So he came to Christ, and what did his own people do? They rejected him then because he was speaking against the things that they were doing. Not only that, but early on in his conversion, did the apostles and the Christians welcome Paul with open arms and no hesitation? No. I mean, the guy was, was there holding the robes of the people who stoned Stephen to death, a, a Christian at the time. So they were scared of him. So he's kind of like, to a certain degree, on his own for a little bit. Not only that, how many times was he wrongfully imprisoned? And, and even the leaders saw nothing wrong with him, and yet they kept him in prison still. He would receive 39 lashes twice. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. And yet, none of this kept Paul from the mission that he was called to. How many, how many times do we have little pity parties when something doesn't go our way? Someone called us a name because we love Jesus and we just kind of call it quits. And here you have Paul who's physically suffering. I don't know about you, but this has deeply challenged me. And how easily I get sidetracked from the calling. Let me ask you again. Let me ask you. Do you believe the calling, the ultimate calling on Paul's life is the same calling for us? Do you believe that? Do you believe the calling for all of us as believers in Christ is to glorify God by making disciples? Is that not the mission of every single believer? Let me ask you, how many times this week have you spent thinking about that calling? Or have you allowed yourself to be sidetracked because you are trying to make it up the corporate ladder in your job to make more money so you can buy the toys that you want, so you can better provide for your family, so you can give your kids a better life than you had, which can we, can we just acknowledge often when that is said, it's the better life means I want my kids to have more stuff than I did. This is convicting to me because how, how often do I come home from work just tired and exhausted from brain work and the last thing I want to do is attend to the needs of my children and my wife and I just can't wait for bedtime and so I can have me time. And I've forgotten the fact that when I get home is like some of the real ministry begins. What, what greater thing can I give my kids than Jesus Christ? What greater thing can I give my kids the reality that nothing will satisfy you like Jesus will? Listen, don't go after those things. Don't pursue those things. They don't last. You're going to find yourself empty. But yet how often 
Am I spending my time doing things that just don't matter? Even as a pastor, I can forget the call to spread the gospel with every breath I have. Do you believe that's true for you? See, we all have different ways to live out that calling. Some of you are called to be teachers. Some of you are called to work in a factory. Some of you are called into the medical field. Some of you are called to stay-at-home mom. Some of you who are retired are called to care for your children and the grandchildren and leave a gospel legacy for your kids. Whatever you are doing, the calling, the ultimate calling is still the same for all of us. Are you mindful of that? If you're a student, are you doing it for the glory of God? If you're bagging groceries, are you doing that for the glory of God? You were put in your neighborhood not to have a nice house and not to live happily ever after, but you were called there to be a light, to be salt. I, I know of a, a friend who, he's married, has like four or five kids or so, lives in the inner city of South Bend, and one of his missions is he keeps his window curtains open because many of the people around him are not used to seeing the, a family intact having dinner together. The way that we, this is convicting for me, the way that we interact with our kids when they're out of control outside and <laughs> does my temper rise or do I, am I able to love the kids and correct them humbly so? So as we close this morning, I, I want you to think about all the things that we've talked about. And what, what would the Lord have you spend some time praying over this morning? Perhaps... For you, it's praying for courage, that you would not allow your fear to keep you from proclaiming Jesus to those around you. For others, maybe it's just open doors, like you feel like the doors are shut and you're talking to people who are so, have so much animosity that you can't even get a word. As soon as you mention Jesus, they split. Perhaps for you, it's just like, God, God would you open a door? Would you help me to see that door and help me to boldly walk through it, Paul, to the end? Preach Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Oh, that God would keep me from being hindered. And, and I, I try to justify in my head why I'm not sharing the gospel. And it's like, sometimes I don't know what's wise and what's just me pulling myself off the hook. Perhaps you need to pray that God would remind you every day that you have one main calling. Proclaim Christ. Nothing else in this big spectrum of thing matters. Is it going to matter what job you had 100 years from now? Is anybody going to care? <laughs> but are you working your job to the glory of God? Are you at home with your kids to the glory of God? Even if it's the job that you have is tedious. Are you doing it that God may be glorified? So what do you need to pray for this morning? Perhaps you need to pray that you would come to a greater understanding of the gospel, which may mean humbling yourself and going to somebody and say, I need help. I, 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 think, I believe God saved me, and I understand that Jesus paid the price, but to how, to how to deliver that to somebody, I need help on. There's nothing wrong with that. There's actually more wrong with like staying to yourself and going about the same old thing. Right? You know what insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Humble yourself. So let's, let's just spend a few minutes to pray. Take whatever posture you feel if you want to kneel at your chair. If you want to come kneel at the steps, if you want to just want to sit in your chair, whatever you want to do, let's just seek the Lord. What, what, what is God calling you to, to pray for? 
Where do you need God's grace? So we'll spend a few minutes, and then I'll close this out in prayer here in a few minutes. Father, I come before you, we come before you, and we acknowledge, Lord, that none of us is mastering this. None of us are, are perfect examples of Christ, and none of us are fully on mission 100% of the time. And God, that's why, that's why we sing our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. But God, I pray that that in that, Lord, first of all, remind us that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But yet, Lord, also I pray that you would challenge us. I, I pray that you would be, bring conviction of where it needs to be. Lord, I, I just confess that how, how many times I feel like I've done enough for the day and just kind of call it quits. And that's not living for your glory, that's living for me. And I pray that you'd bring conviction to my soul, Lord, the excuses I make for why I don't do things, Lord, the amount of selfishness, Lord, just understanding that I, I don't always drive for the glory of God. I don't always shop for your glory. I don't always cheer for my sports team for, for your glory in, in a way that would honor you. God, would you help us to see areas in our lives where we are making excuses for not being your witnesses. And God, I do pray that you would bring open doors for those in our lives who do not know you, Lord, that we would see those doors and you'd give us the courage and the wisdom to, to proclaim your truth. Whether they receive it or not, Lord, we're not called to make converts. We are called to be faithful. So Lord, would you bring encouragement, Lord, Remind us, Lord, that we indeed are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So, Lord, would you allow us to let our light shine, not so that we can boast in ourselves, but we can point to you because you've changed our hearts so that, Lord, you might be glorified in that. God, I pray that we would hear stories of, of people who were faithful this week of proclaiming your truth and Lord, may we hear of people who step out of darkness into the light. Perhaps there are people here, Lord, who, who think they are saved, but they have the gospel wrong. God, that they would repent and place their faith in you. Lord, we need you. We need your help, Lord. Help us to fulfill the mission you've called us to. Remind us, Lord, we desperately need you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you leave, let me leave you with a couple action steps uh, for you to consider. Uh, number one there, memorize Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Again, that's what we call the Great Commission. This is what Jesus' words were before he went to heaven after he died. Uh, go and make disciples. This is what we are called to do. Nothing else in the spectrum of eternity will matter. And then I just encourage you, read through the Bible. As Paul, like you think of Paul sharing the good news of Jesus, he didn't have the New Testament. <laughs> I mean, the guy wrote half of it. And so, like, he used the Old Testament. So it's so cool when you can read through the Old Testament and then see how it weaves in, like, this need for Jesus. Like, you see, like, something's missing. And, and we miss it if we just pick and choose what we read. So I encourage you, read through the Bible. We're doing that in the app. If you're behind, get caught up. If you just want to start over or start where you're at and go a year from now, like, just, just, make, just get in the Bible. Get in the Word of God. It will feed your soul. Thirdly, spend some time asking yourself, what is your life all about?
There's two ways to answer that. Number one, the reality of today. And number two, what your life should be about. What are you living for and what should you be living for? Ponder those thoughts. And then lastly, let's pray for gospel opportunities, that God will open doors for us to to preach the gospel. Let me remind you, uh, Mark and I will be here. We'd love to pray with you if you have any prayer requests. If you came with somebody or know someone whom, whom you could go to to ask for prayer, humble yourself to do that. Nobody has it together. Okay? There was one person who had it all together, and that was Jesus. We, we need help. And so if you need encouragement, you need prayer, uh, find somebody. Don't leave without doing that. But other than that, have a great week.